1: Welcome to episode 123, 123 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Hey, you know me, I'm your host, Kevin, and I'm just excited to have you join me today for a very interesting, unique conversation with my new friend, Piers Thurston. I was introduced to Piers by Gary Turner, and Piers and I jumped on a conversation last week, which will actually be two weeks from the time this is released. It was a fascinating conversation, so fascinating that at the end of that conversation, I said, hey, let's connect for a conversation on the podcast, and I invite you in. It's a very different kind of conversation from what you've heard here before, but lean in, listen, and let me know what you think when it's over. Hey, Piers, what a joy to welcome you to
2: the Higher Purpose Podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Well, it is absolutely my pleasure, Kevin. And I have to say thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And we have to say thank
1: you to Gary Turner for prodding us, for introducing us, and then suggesting that we connect in conversation, which we did a few days ago. And that conversation was just so interesting and stimulating that I said, hey, Pierce, join me on the podcast. And I said this in the introduction before we got started, but you're know, you going to hear this this is going to be a unique, different kind of conversation. This is more of us engaging in conversation rather than me interviewing peers. So I just got to start. What's something you're grateful for as we kick this conversation off today?
2: Yeah. And what I'm grateful for, and this, this may sound trite, but it really isn't. It's really, really felt for me and it's very profound for me, is that I'm grateful that I've woken up to see a different way of how the mind, the human being operates and creates its experience. than I thought, and that was about sort of, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years ago that I saw that. And that has changed everything for me, really. So, and that's the basis of my work and everything. So, I'm just so grateful I stumbled across that. Okay, I'm pausing, just, yeah, stumbled across that. However, yeah. how did that happen, Pierce? So <laughs> well, okay, how did the stumble happen? I guess I've been in the personal professional development and change space for 20 years now. I started at the beginning of the century as a sort of coach, private client and business coach, and also working with organizations around change. And for the first 10 years of that, I was into what I would now describe as kind of conventional coaching, positive psychology, lots, lots of things like neuro-linguistic programming, clean place, clean language, symbolic modeling, appreciative inquiry, systems thinking, da-da-da-da, hypnosis, EFT, built up a huge kind of armory of things to help me help others. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 years ago, I mean, a little more than that now, I came across something different that one of my mentors pointed out to me. To start with, I thought, oh, no, that's what I do already. Thanks very much. Got that. You just put different language on it. And He was like, no, 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 have a look. I was like, I have. He went, no, have another look. I was like, okay. (laughs) And then a sort of year later, I was like, oh, Mm. wow, Mm. that is different. And it puts everything on its head. Mm. So luckily enough, he was persistent enough to get me to see it. And then once I saw it, I was like, well, I need to change all my work now, because it doesn't make sense to do it the old way. And that was about, sort of, as I say, nine years ago. And since then, I've just been finding new ways to talk about it that might make it a little more easier to hear.
1: Mm. So what you said earlier, before we hit record, was you can't not see it anymore. You can't unsee what you saw. And one of the things that just intrigued me about us engaging in this conversation, and you listening, I just got to tell you, There is way less of a roadmap for where this conversation is going than perhaps any other conversation I've ever hosted on the (laughs) podcast. And I'm really excited about that. And I've never had a moment where a guest and I read a poem together before we hit record, but we just did that before we hit record. And it was uh, Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. And so here's the thing that there's so many things here. So, Piers, it's that time of year, and right, that time of year means so many things to different people at this time, right? Some people are thinking Christmas, and they're thinking, oh, well, maybe he can help me better know how to pick out the perfect gift (laughs) for someone. That's what we're going to do today. Well, no, not really. And tips are appreciated (laughs) for that. But I'm talking about this, when you and I were talking originally, we started thinking, wow, this is coming up on the end of the year. And so many people are beginning to think about the next year. And so many of us, and I'm just going to use an us here, have been frustrated by the way we've done that in the past. And that is, I mean, like you started in providing some context there. You've been in the space of personal development, professional development, all of these things. So this is goal setting, you know, what people Mm. have talked about. This is how you make your Action plan for the year or your life plan for the year. Well, this whole idea, what I've realized is the people you listening to this podcast, if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably listening because you're already wired like us, you're wired differently. You're making different choices in life. You've chosen the road not taken or the road less traveled. And then sometimes you're frustrated by the advice of the experts. So let's unpack some of that, you know, especially mm. as it, it goes to this entering a new decade. Wherever you want to pick a knit and let's pull the thread and see what happens.
2: Mm. Fascinating. Yeah, there's so much to talk about there, Kevin. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, let's go back. When we were talking, what were one or two of the things that really ignited in you and said, well, that would be fun to unpack a
2: bit more? Well, there was a couple of things. that There was something you said about extraordinary, mm. right? And being extraordinary and the two meanings of that word. One being extraordinary as in it's, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe it. And then extraordinary as in not being the same as before and being different and unique, I suppose. And it was like, well, how do we have more of an extraordinary life? Does that mean we have to go and do wow things, Right. So the way I heard it was, does that mean we have to go and do different lifestyle than we've had before? Or can we have extraordinary inside what might look like the ordinary? Because that's what's one thing that's occurred to me over the last sort of 10 years is there's so much richness and juice in the most ordinary of lives. Yeah, oh, so beautiful. let's start there then. This yeah, is so that would be, that'll be an interesting one. Okay, so and I'll just, some of
1: you may have heard me say this, and I found this in a journal the other day. So October 23rd, so this is just over a month ago at the time of this recording, I started asking myself the question. 2018, we ran a program, 13-week program, called the Extraordinary Experiment that was just inviting people in. Earlier this year, back in August, we launched a community that we called This Extraordinary Life. And we were talking about that. And one of the things that was important for me was we didn't call it the extraordinary life to make it sound like it is something out there that is elusive and evasive, and it's up to you to find it. Go find it. It's out there. But this extraordinary life, the life we now have, is extraordinary. Mm Mm-hmm if we embrace it. So I'm really excited to unpack this because I started asking, what if I went all in and focused all of my endeavors on this extraordinary life?
2: Mm. And I think this, what that points to to me is less about, and it sort of fits in what we're saying about goal setting, is that to me to have this extraordinary life, I don't need to worry about setting goals. Right, that I don't need to sit down at the end of the year and think, okay, what does that extraordinary life look like in terms of the outside world, right? What am I going to try and manifest into being in the next year? Because that would be me trying to reverse engineer something that doesn't work well being reverse engineered, Hmm. i.e. insight, realization, and emergence. Whatever we create in our lives to me lands much more beautifully, richly and effortlessly when we go with the wind mm. rather than against it okay, so that was the phrase that was a phrase you used when
1: you and I are just having this you know banter about goal setting, and I remember sharing it. I remember a few years ago i 've been so frustrated through life with so many of the goal setting efforts because much of that embraced a deliberate approach to strategy, and that was all I knew, was the deliberate approach that came out of Harvard, and then I discovered there was an emergent approach to strategy that came out of McGill University, and the the emergent approach is like, wow, and then you used a phrase, and you kind of alluded to it there, Mm -hmm. the difference between rowing and sailing. Yeah. I see, Pierce, what I had heard before, I never really... I heard the difference between drifting and rowing, going in a direction versus drifting. But when you said sailing, all of a sudden that just created a whole different set of choices for me. Unpack that
2: in the context of what you're talking about here. Yeah, sure. So that metaphor to me points to rowing is probably how we are, if I generalize for the listener, you know, conventionally conditioned and programmed to – have some aspirations in life, get a plan, work at them, have some willpower and discipline and effort, right? And if you keep going enough, if you push, 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 you'll get there, right? And if it's not, you've got to try a little harder. And that kind of gets merit-badged with some stress. Like, oh, I'm stressed. That means you must be doing a good job. I'm really busy. Well, that's good. That means you're trying hard. And that would be the kind of rowing approach, right now sailing is different to that because what you're doing there is whether you're aware of it or not you are intuitively capturing an inspiration coming through yourself right rather than a motivation so it's almost like you catch something coming through it emerges it comes with an obviousness an energy a direction but not an outcome necessarily right and When you get in that flow, it will come in more flow, Mm -hmm. there's less on your mind to do it. And actually, ironically, you're less attached to the outcome. You're more present to the journey. Now, one of the challenges that we have, I guess, is that the sailing feels less controllable and predictable and sometimes even as tangible, which it gets confused with drifting. Yes. Okay. Okay. So what we like in the modern world is that particularly in business, we like tangible, manageable, controllable, predictable things. Now, I would say that sailing is highly reliable, but not massively predictable. What increases, well, the reliability is that's how the human system works, Mm -hmm. right? You can't get away from it. And even sometimes when we're rowing, we're actually sailing. We're just putting a lot of effort in to get, where we're going to get to. What makes it more okay and more okay for it not to be 100% predictable is when we understand the nature of it. Mm. Mm. Right? So there's a confusion about it because it gets confused with drifting. And also, it gets confused with, I don't know, some people are just like that, they're lucky because it feels like cheating sometimes. <laughs> But I'm sure everyone here, you know, listeners, if you think about it, there's times when you've just done stuff that other people may have said to you, that's pretty amazing, well done. And it might just be cooking a meal for six people and you do it quite easily. It might be whatever it is. And you haven't hasn't really even occurred to you it was hard and difficult. You just sort of got into flow and off it went, hmm. right? And it's only when someone else says, hey, great job. You're like, oh, okay, thanks. You know, <laughs> so we've all had that but because it didn't have the effort, we didn't even realize what it was. Does that description make some kind of difference?
1: Oh, it does for me. There are a couple of things I wanna go a little deeper there. I hope what you just shared, that everyone, every one of you listening, I hope that there is some moment where you have experienced flow. And for me, I guess flow is, part of flow is getting out of my own way. Yes. So let's talk about that a moment. How do we get in our own way? And what scares us about sailing, that we pull down the
2: sails and take out the oars? Well, that's a whole, we could do a whole podcast on just that. But at the most fundamental level, and I'll make this a little more practical later, but at the most foundational level, why we get in our own way is we have an innocent, invisible, misunderstanding, of how the mind operates. Okay. And we seem to live in a perception that two things that the outside world, the world of past, future, events, circumstances, and the self are sort of running the show or causal mm-hmm. to what happens to us. And we see our realities, our internal ones and the ones out there as what I would call nickname real and true. Okay. To be managed and controlled and sorted out. And if we get that right, we get a lovely hit of well-being or success. Now, that's the misunderstanding piece. Because actually, the way I see it is, whereas those realities, internal and external, look and feel real, as in, you know, we're not pretending this is how the world looks to us or what we are, they're not objectively true. Mm -hmm. Right? And any moment that we sense that, that we see that, right, that it's real but not true, we have an opening of what I call our aperture to emergence and sailing and resourcefulness. When we see the world as, or our internal or external worlds as, real and true. We lack psychological freedom. We're in a low resourceful state and we try to manage ourselves psychologically through the world. And that's when we get our oars out because we don't see that we are already part of this wonderful invisible power that can dissolve realities right in front of us that gives us an intelligence, a contextual intelligence and wisdom that gives us a connection and a resilience and a clarity and a creativity and an inspiration. We see ourselves as separate things trying to manage this world internally or externally. Now, I know that's a little bit woo-woo, but was there anything you heard in that that sort of rang true?
1: Oh, a lot, a lot. But can you help us with a more visible example. Mm. I found this really interesting to think about this invisible and I was trying to think the other word you used with that. Invisible. Innocent. Innocent. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What's a way we can actually see that in motion in
2: either an individual or a team or a business? Right. So, Oh, there's loads of examples. What should I choose? i just choose one, an individual one, right? So our listeners might be thinking about their own, I don't know, their career and their financial security, right? That's a common thing we think about <laughs> for many people. Right. And for most people, we've been programmed and conditioned to say, okay, to have a good life, to feel good about the world, you need this kind of financial security, this kind of career security right? And we would get educated at school to help us get that, right? So from a young age, we're told, do well at your exams, so you get to good college, so you get to a good job, so you get blah, 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 off we go. Now, that to most of us looks pretty real and true, right? And the threat of being made redundant or having a pay cut or whatever would create some anxiety or insecurity for people as if there is a causal power in the numbers in your bank balance or the status on your business card or the stage of you know investment maturity you have or whatever it is, right, that gives us some well-being, security, and fulfillment. Hmm. Now, people would go, oh, yeah, well, I know it's not all about the material world. They would sort of hint at that, but not far down in their belief system, because you can tell by behavior, right? They would think that is causal,
0: Mm.
2: right? So the innocent, invisible bit is, that is purely a creation of the conceptual mind in any moment. A construct. Yeah, it has no causal power. It cannot get anywhere near your ability to have well-being, resourcefulness, love, connection, sense of security. They're different systems, right? It's like saying the rain outside can cook you a cake. They're just different systems, right? They don't get anywhere near each other, right? At one level, at one level. But we've been brought up to think, oh no, I need to make that stuff right, both in the outside world and my own relationship with it in my head to be okay. And that's just not how it works. It doesn't work like that. Instead, how it works is we live in this real but not true creation of our wealth or our security or our job and when we spot that when we spot that it's feeling real but it's not actually true and causal the beautiful thing happens it doesn't mean we just don't care and put our you know go and sit on the sofa for the next 40 years no what happens is the aperture to our resourcefulness our clarity our inventiveness our goes up so ironically we get better at the external world stuff of You know, Mm. or we decide we don't need it and have a different lifestyle. We just get more freedom. Okay. So I don't know whether that example works. It helps. It helps. You know, there's still, it's just
1: always fascinating to me when we are seeking to make invisible things visible. Mm. I mean, that's a trick because it still remains somewhat invisible.
2: So we're just, Well, it it is invisible because the design is that it's invisible because if we saw what the mind was really up to, we wouldn't have such a full experience of life, right? So let me put it this way. The system is designed to catch us out that it looks like it's coming from somewhere other than mind,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. right? Otherwise, it would be like a virtual reality headset. Although we can get immersed in a movie or whatever, we kind of know we're in it which takes some of the fizz out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Right? So doing a virtual reality bungee jump is quite fun, but it's not quite as good as doing what we would call the real one Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: because we kind of still know it's virtual reality. Now, the system we live in, the human system, is designed to not let us always see that we're in a projected movie so that we get a full gamut of the (laughs) extent of it sentiently. But I suppose what does happen for me is, even though I can't always see in every moment it's the mind, I know it has to be. Hmm. And that takes off the table, the idea that it could be something outside of me. By me, I am actually also, I am a creation of mine. I'm part of the experience as a human rather than the experiencer, but it takes off the table that it could be the outside world or my thoughts or my background or my past. I know it's something that is sourcing this consciousness coming through, right? So it takes off the table the idea that it could be anything else, even if I can't see it.
1: Hmm. All right, so let's go back to this. I want to swim back towards the goal setting a moment as a context for this. How do you approach this differently? And what were the shifts you started making, right? When you started having this realization nine, 10 years ago, what shifted about the way you approached life Goal setting and your business. And then,
2: yeah, well, 20 years ago, I got fully into goal setting because I came across NLP, Anthony Robbins, all that. And I went full on. Uh I had a big list. Okay. Right. And I taught my clients how to do that. And I came up with lots of clever acronyms on how to set really good goals. I didn't think SMART was good. I came up with my own ones, Posey and all this kind of stuff, right? I was good at setting goals. I wasn't great at fulfilling them, but I was good at selling them, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then 10 years ago, when I had this sort of, huh, moment or moments, I realized that was trying to reverse engineer what I would now call true emergence and high quality of mind. So what I do now is, if something occurs to me to do in life or work, I'll first of all just get a sense of what aperture or space it's coming from right? And very quickly, you can tell whether it's what I used to call a should goal, like, oh, I should get fitter. And just as soon as it comes out of, you can tell your space you're in, you're like, well, that one's, I'm not buying into that one, right? So very quickly, I would discredit sort of 70, 80% of the ideas I have about what I should be, right? Or do or have. Now, if one comes through in what I would call a higher aperture, it just has a more obviousness to it then I might just play with it a little bit and see if it hangs around, right? What I would never do is let today's wisdom be tomorrow's prison, right? So let's say it occurs to me today, huh, I might go and do that with my business. I would kind of check in with that just on a feeling sense. I wouldn't get too into it. Just does it still feel right? And whilst it still was giving me wind, the sails, I would stick with it. And if it doesn't, I would just stop it. And I wouldn't beat myself up going, you started the goal, you should go. Because what I actually find is, I'm now retrospectively spotting goals I had, Mm. which I know is a bit silly. Because some of the things come through with so much obviousness to do, I wouldn't even necessarily know it was a goal until I'd done it. Okay, so
1: I've got to push a button on you here. Please. Why do you
2: call it silly? Because that seems like... (laughs) Which bit did I call silly? I might call many things silly. Just remind me.
1: (laughs) A goal that you didn't really see, but
2: it happened. You look back and go, oh, that was something to call it a goal. That seems to be kind of the real... Because I suppose it's to do the definition of the word goal, which is something you sort of know before you're going to do. So that's what I mean by silly. So it's not silly in terms of how the mind works. It's absolutely accurate, right? But But it's... um, more how you do goal setting now. Oh, yeah. So I don't really do goal setting. Right. Right. So for yeah.
1: folks that are sitting here and, and like, okay, for me, Pierce, seriously, I did goal setting programs and I just went all in on those programs and they never worked for me. And that created a lot of guilt and anxiety and labeling. Why are you such a failure at goals? Yeah right? Why am I such a failure? You know, it depends whether I'm hearing this said to me or I'm asking about myself, whether it's a you or a I, but often it was you're such a failure at goal setting. What does it take to release that then, right? And then just kind of trade the sculling boat for a sailboat, mm. right? A real upgrade here.
2: Yeah. Well, I think to me, it's no wonder I was bad or you were bad at goal setting because we're not designed that way, right? right? So, it's actually now makes total sense. And anyone who is, would say they're good at goal setting, I would say is working really hard in their psychological conceptual mind. They may be getting some of it. Are they enjoying it? Are they in fulfillment? I doubt it. I don't know. I never want to, you know, say never, but because it would just not design that way. And if you want a clue, look at a three-year-old. Right? You try and get them to do something. It's really hard. But are they active, joyful, creative little machines? Absolutely. But you try and shackle that in a direction. It's really hard work.
1: You said this the other day in our conversation. Let's revisit this since you brought up three year olds. How many children set goals
2: to learn to walk? Right?
1: (laughs) That was the question you asked me.
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah. None. Yeah. Parents might. They don't.
1: Yeah. yeah. For folks that are still in that frustration zone or maybe even the guilt zone. Let's just say it like this. Let's call it what it is because this is where it came for me. This becomes the dread zone. Mm. Oh my gosh, it's that time of year again. Here we are, you know, approaching the end of this year, going into next year. You know, I really don't want to be a loser at life. So what that mm. means is I've got to get serious about goals. Because mm. that's the narrative that we've bought into or been sold. Yeah. What do you say to the person that's right there at this moment, right? Like, oh my gosh, I really do want 2020 to be a great year. As a matter of fact, when I heard Kevin start talking about decade of difference, that really energized and animated something in me. Now let me go set 10-year goals, Mm. I mean, because that's we're overlaying a new construct on an old construct without really questioning
2: the construct. Yeah. And I would say to someone that's stuck in that frustrated space, as you call it, the dredge space, I would say pause. Freshen up how you see what it is, because here's the thing to see differently. You are not the one driving the show, right? You are not in the driving seat. So if it's to be, it's up to me. It is, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is a reverse-engineered attribution, which is incorrect. Yeah, right? I hated that one, but I was told that one for years. Yeah, it looks like we're the one driving the car. We're not. Right? We are not. We have the appearance of choice and free will. We don't. Because where do those thoughts come from that says you have the choice? So we have the appearance of it right? And that's cool. That's great. It gives us a more real experience. Going back to what I was saying earlier, it makes life look more real, the fact that we have appearance of free will, right? So we are not driving the car. Now, we are going to be how things get acted out through. So we're in the limelight of our experience, the one that comes through our system. But we are not the powerhouse. And there's something else to look towards that will help you appreciate the richness and the power and resourcefulness that can come through our experience of life, right? So, but I think when we're getting frustrated with our ability to set goals and not getting them done, we're putting it all on us as this separate entity that needs to do that. And we psychologically need to manage our way through that. And then if not psychologically beat ourselves up. If we see that we are inherently innate of a part of a system, a broader system that that happens through and to, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it takes the weight off, and then we can just trim the sails when we understand how they work, Mm. right? We are not the thing that creates the outcome. It looks like we are, Mm. but that's the wrong attribution.
1: Okay. So I need to say, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, okay, in case it doesn't come through. What are the three steps to getting into flow? Right? I mean, right. It, so this is what I want to live in flow. So yeah. give me the master plan. If I don't want to be rowing, that means I want to be flowing. So now you've created the system or we're, we're wanting somebody to create the five-step, seven-step system to live in flow every day.
2: Right. So do you, do you remember the movie Fight Club? And I didn't see it, but I remember it. Yeah. was. There. And here are the rules of Fight Club. There are no rules, right? Yeah. So, rule one, there are no rules or prescriptions. Whenever you hear any expert or guru say, Hey, the three steps to automatically go, Oh, they're giving me what worked for them. Exactly. As their emergence of their wisdom, that does not mean it's prescriptive for mine, right? So, that rule number one is read that with interest, but not as an instruction manual, right? Okay. So that's what worked for them. Because
1: it worked for them, has no bearing that it's going to work for me.
2: Exactly. That was an emergence of their system, right? Not the system. Not, you know. So, and then I suppose what I would say is look to what you already see and know, probably invisibly, right? But we all intuitively know this. We have to fall awake to it because we've got too much noise in the way. To how We create wonderful things in this world, right? Mm. And that is when we harness this wonderful invisible power that comes through us, right? And that's there for any single human being. The capacity for that is there for any single human being. You do not have to be a certain type of person to be good at this, right? Well, I suppose a certain type of person you need to be is curious and open, but you know, it's not like a demographic or a capability. And just see how much. You are mainly invisibly invested, the self, in being better at life. Mm. Because what it looks like to me is the more you are invested in getting a better life and trying to work it out and trying to manage things, the more you're not looking in the direction of insight and realization, right? So the more you're rowing than sailing and you put the sails down because you think it's your job. Now, you can achieve in that way, but it would be harder work.
1: Okay, so right. let's flip this a minute, Pierce. I'm sitting here and let's flip this a moment. And In our last conversation, we started using me as a case study let's mm-hmm. <laughs> to kind of unpack and maybe illustrate some of this a little better. I remember two things I had shared with you. One was this whole phrase, decade of difference, came about one Saturday when I was working in the yard, doing a project that didn't require loads of mental capacity to focus Hmm. on the project. So my mind has just kind of freed up. I'm not really thinking about anything that I'm that conscious of. And then all of a sudden, I'm enamored with this thought, huh? 2020 is not just the start of a new year. It's the start of a decade. How might that be different? What if I liberated myself from this year cycle that I've been so programmed to think? Because the way I was programmed to think is, hmm, you need to do discovery sometime in December to have that real clarity of goal setting and what you're going to do. And like what you were saying earlier, if I'm not making significant progress by January 10th, 15th or 30th, I'm starting to, oh, I got to wipe that off because I'm going to fail. And so it was just this change of mindset,
2: you know, the whole thing. So let me ask you a question about that, if I may. We're going to use you as a case study, Kevin. Let me ask you a question because... And this is why we can never tell by what someone says. We have to sort of, you know, probe a little bit. Because you could say, well, okay, you've changed from having annual goals to having decade goals. There's no difference. You just widened it, right? I don't actually think that's what you're pointing to, right? Because that's what I want to get. I think you're pointing to something else, but it just sounds like that. Yeah. Now, my sense is from what you're saying, if I read between the lines, is that the way this arose for you was you weren't thinking about goals. It just popped out whilst you were doing a task. And something occurred to you fresh about the future, right? Now what the conceptual mind loves to do is then to put that in a form, a package, attribute that to something, conceptualize it. So you've conceptualized that as decade of difference, right? Now I would say you don't want that to become your new restriction. No. Right? Because will it be different? Who knows? Will it be a decade? Who knows? What you sensed was a fresh energy or space that, to create life from, right? Yeah. Now, the decade of difference is just a load of noise. I and mean, yeah. it's a nice one for a podcast. And then I'm tongue-in-cheek back to you now, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we have to conceptualize things to get you to buy into them. But I think more powerfully than the way you've articulated it is the space that's coming from in you. And that's what feels different. Is that right? Yeah, so yes, because there is no plan. Yeah, exactly. They're
1: not milestones. They're not X number of steps. It is this desired port or destination that I'm not even sure where it is, right? To put Mm. it on a map, but it's just kind of energized and animated. Well, what if you set course in this direction? And what if you hoist the sails rather than get busy rowing? Because so many times what I have done, the approach that I've had to life for so many years was faster, harder, smarter, faster, harder, smarter.
2: And you know where that got me? Mm. Nowhere good. Mm. Yeah. I tell you what's interesting though, you see, because the more we try and define and talk about this, the less there is to go on and it doesn't make very good podcasting, right? Because I know what you're talking to is hugely powerful, but the more we try to describe it and put it in for listeners, the more we're kind of diluting it. And so instead, I would ask people to check in with what they've already experienced in their life, but not noticed when they've had a freshness of space they've come from right because that is the visible expression of this invisible thing now it can turn up quite ordinarily right so go back to our beginning and we'll, we'll feel it and notice it but not respect it or realize that that there's much more of that to come hmm. right and what i'm talking about here just to give it a bit of clarification is Flow is the general word we'd use, but it's when a freshness has occurred to see the same thing differently, right? When we've had a level of kind of appreciation, respect, or kind of depth of an experience about something, and it's just sort of turned up with an obviousness and a pureness and a clarity of feeling and lightness, that is the visible manifestation of this wind behind the sails now it's always lurking there right but the more we try and grab it the more it makes it go into rowing so it's quite elusive enigmatic yet highly reliable okay when we
1: you experience that and i think we all know when we experience it Mm mm-hmm What do we do? How do we push the pause button and recognize it for what it is rather than writing it off as a fluke moment?
2: Right. Well, I think in the moment, we don't do anything apart from what looks obvious to us. A little example of that is you might have had times when you felt beautifully connected to your other half, your spouse, whatever, a really romantic, lovely moment. And then one of you's commented on that, ruins it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just, you're so in the moment. And someone's gone, what a lovely moment. You're like, not anymore right because you come out of that space with a conceptualization right so in the moment just be with it right now i think the question really is very important is how do we increase the likelihood of that turning up yeah yeah right so if that's the question then i do have an answer now this is an answer that is a solution that you might think well that works for him right but the solution that i have and this is what i point to my clients and corporate and everything for the last 10 years, is to see what I was saying earlier about the real and true thing and about this that we are consciousness, we are all part of the system, the self and the outside world are an activity of that consciousness, you know, and to see that there's no causal, pa- all that stuff, right? There's an understanding of the mind, which I can talk more about, but probably not here, that seems to, when people fall awake to it, increase the likelihood of the occurrence of those Insights, that freshness, that emergence. So that's been what I've seen. Okay. So, an understanding of the mind unlocks that. So, an intangible understanding of the mind unlocks some very tangible things.
1: Okay, I'm just going to tell you what we just did, and that is I just hit pause, and I just asked Pierce some questions, and we processed this because, you know, folks, for you listening, this may be incredibly awkward, some of this conversation, and we were just, that's okay, right? So there's a question I often ask towards the end and I'm asking it now and I'm not sure. I don't even know if this conversation actually has an end is what I would say. (laughs) Good point. Uh. (laughs) But let's kind of think about what does it take to make this conversation whole if it can be made whole? And what else do you want to interject in this now? And how do we invite people to just kind of be okay lifting a sail?
2: Well, that's a great, great question. So not knowing is just as powerful as knowing, if not more. And we have a tendency to want to know. So I think confusion is so valuable. I think not knowing is so valuable. So if this conversation, as you say, Kevin, has been a little awkward or uncomfortable. Good. Not because I like you to feel awkward or uncomfortable, but brilliant. If we're breaking through the echo chamber, brilliant. Right? Now, the question might be, what do I do with that? You've just said some stuff I don't really get. What do I do? Well, if it feels a little resonant, something, but you don't really know what it is, you go, well, there's something in that. I don't really know and all that stuff There's something. Then check out maybe some of the resources we're going to post or whatever, or books and things to listen to, and you can continue, you know, getting curious or just do that through self inquiry. Just listen to it a few times, see what turns up and your own emergence can take you somewhere. So I think it's in a way, I have no problem with being not complete. Because it's a journey. Because it's a journey, and also, because in one minute I can't complete it, so I'm not going to set myself a task I can't do. (laughs) I've got to ask you something else. When did you get comfortable with confusion? Ooh, that's a good question. When? Because I Um, think
1: so many of us, the moment there is confusion, what do we want? We want the confusion to stop. We want to get on the other side of that confusion as soon as possible rather than experiencing it and unpacking it more and find out what it's teaching us.
2: I can answer the question in how come I now do that, not rather than when. It was when I realized that the conceptual mind, that the mind that likes to have clarity and work things out is not where the action's at. And I, for 35 years, maybe a little more, had relied on my smarts. I was a reasonably intelligent person, you know, well-educated. I'd relied on the intellect, the conceptual mind. I thought that was my wind
0: hmm.
2: in my sails. Hmm. And that needs to know stuff, right? Now there is a role for that in society, of course there is, that's why we have beautiful computers and all this kind of stuff, right? But that is not where the action's at for me anymore. So I don't give it so much credibility. So that's where I can be more okay with confusion and not knowing now. So where is the action for you today? It's in this invisible source that we are made of. Consciousness, science would call it. God, religion would call it. Love, John Lennon would call it. It's what everything is made of. And I mean, you know, source, right? It's an invisible intelligence. Now, it turns up tangibly, right? Now, it's not something our conceptual mind can grasp, put in a box and sort out. It's not something science has found yet. Science still thinks it exists in the material world. I doubt it, I think we create the material world through consciousness, not the other way around. So it's ineffable. The closer you get to it, the less words you've got to talk about it. Hmm. But we all, every single one of us are made of it and experience it. Well, what do you hope is
1: lingering? with people and I started to say lingering in people's minds. I'm not even sure if it's in the mind. So just lingering (laughs) with people, bring this to a close. What do you hope?
2: Well, I'm hoping there's a, people have gone, oh, right, maybe there is something different to look at that is not the path well trodden. Maybe there is something out there and maybe something what I've been intuiting around this conventional way of doing it which doesn't feel right for a lot of people they have an intuition it's not right but they don't really know maybe that's reliable
0: mm.
2: and the lingering would be huh i'm curious to know a little more even though i don't need to know right um, there is another way right and that's legitimate and actually it's more accurate to the truth of how the system works so that's what i'd love people to a lingering curiosity to look In this direction, if even if you don't really know what this direction is, maybe you know which direction it isn't rather than which direction it is. And to be okay with that. And be okay with not knowing. And enjoy the not
1: knowing. Yeah.
2: So final thoughts that you want to say before we... Uh, Well, I might get back to gratitude, actually, Kevin, that... There's a forum to talk about like this, that you have the space for us to talk like this, that there's people maybe that will listen for 45 minutes. So thanks for that. And then just press pause on what you know and what you've been taught and just look fresh. And you don't have to look far. You have to look into what you already are, Mm. but not conceptually. Mm. And
1: I guess the thing I would add to that, or and you are enough.
2: Mm-hmm. Always. You are everything and nothing, so you can't not be anything but impossible.
1: And that's where we'll yeah pause for now. Thank you. Hey Pierce, for folks that they are really curious, curious enough to say, how do I get more information? How do I reach out with this, connect with this fellow? How do they do that?
2: Well, I'd always be welcome to hear anyone interested in this. So I'd always try and make myself available. Best ways of doing that, I'm quite on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Piers Thurston, or email piers, P-I-E-R-S, at uk. You can get me there. So I'd say LinkedIn and email are the best and, you know, probably... Kevin, you put us in the show notes. Very happy to hear from someone. They got questions. Really would. All right. Thanks again. Bye bye. Well, thanks for joining
1: me, Piers, and thank you for listening. And maybe this was different for you. Maybe it's quite normal for you. I don't really know how this landed with you. And it was really funny because we took this pause and Piers said, you know, Kevin, I'm not that invested in how it lands with people and and so that was a learning moment for me maybe to think differently about that i love some of the distinctions we've made in this conversation the difference between rowing and sailing the distinctions between drifting and being led in life and then the idea of confusion not necessarily seeking to end it, or remedy it, but find out what it's wanting to teach you. So I'd love to hear what's lingering in your heart, mind, and hopefully there's some curiosity. You know, you can reach out to me anytime. Email kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com or phone or text 678-744-5111. Hey, I'm looking forward to our next time connecting, and until then, I encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose. What could 10
0: days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at the gratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.